Good evening, everyone. We'll let everybody come in. Hopefully we have a good number this evening. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and get started. Uh, good evening, everyone. Uh, as usual, I'm gonna, I'll do what I could do with everybody. Um, Rick, what's on your mind right now? All right, what's on my mind right now? Still Ukraine, um, Putin, Putin and his, his plan that he has, he, he's, he's masterminded this, he wants to crush the US dollar. He's got Europe in the palm of his hand now. He controls all of the, the energy that they, they need to, to survive. It, um, it's, it's, it's pretty scary how much control he has right now. So that's on my mind. The Ukrainian people are on my mind. All of the folks here in the United States that, are burnt, that have burned up this summer, I feel so sorry for you. I'm so sorry. Um, obviously there's nothing we can do but please keep your heads as high as you can that will you know it will be different next year you know it will that every year is different so so hang in there i just read a a little blurb on twitter that um the platte river is dried up from columbus all the way to uh to grand island i, I that's just that's crazy so everybody hang in hang in there and um Tonight we're going to get um, we're going to do basic stuff tonight. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna thank um, a gentleman that 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 wrote in, sent us an email, and and folks, I want to take we take this stuff very seriously. Um, we had a gentleman, his name uh, Kevin S. I'm not going to give his last name, but Kevin, thank you. I hope you're out there tonight. Uh, Kevin sent a very very well email that I call constructive criticism. Well, I'll be honest with you, when I first read it, I was a little put off by it, but then I got to thinking about it. I read it again, I read it again. I thought about it for a week and he's exactly right. Too many times we have the big hitters on here. They, they take their, all their knowledge and they just go way over the top of all of our heads, mine included and sometimes it's hard to catch up and he just point blank asked me if i thought i was scaring people away the beginners because of how complex we have our podcast and i'm like you know what you're exactly right so kevin here we are thank you we are going to do do just basic 101 and 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 folks tonight it's rick q a Please, tonight's the night. I don't care what, there is no dumb question. There's only dumb answers, okay? Please send in your questions, but here we go. So, giddy up, let's go. Rick Q&A, 101 Basics, uh, Regenerative Farming, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to call it. Um, let's see, Deanne, Deanne's a, Deanne is a loyal listener. Thank you. How you doing, Deanne? Uh, Deanne is tuning in from her combine as we harvest spring wheat in North Dakota. Great. 
Rick, I respect you and your operation very much. I really enjoy these podcasts, but I want to ask this. Is it fair and true to call yourself no-till organic when you use tillage on occasion? I know for me, I would not be comfortable calling our system chemical-free, even though we only use it on occasion, food for thought. Okay, very good. And yes, Deanne, you are correct. We did a little bit of tillage this year. I am uh, trying to be 100% transparent. And yes, we did till about 300 acres. So um, out of our operation, that's um, about 3% and a little over 3%, maybe 4%. And yes, I guess it is hard to call yourself 100% no-till in that situation. So I guess I will rephrase our 22 farming practice as uh, as much minimum till as we could possibly do. But sometimes there are situations where I thought we had to do some tillage. And what prompted me to, to think this, Deanne, was perennial weeds that we could no longer take care of. Um, chicory and Canada thistle. And Canada thistle is a noxious weed, and I cannot have noxious weeds going to seed on the farm. So unfortunately, yes, we had to do some tillage. I don't plan on doing this again in the future, but I don't know of any other way to get ahead of, of uh, Canada thistle than, than what we did there. I know you could mow it uh, two or three times through the year, I guess. I think you mow it in June, July, and then August or something. Um, but um, I decided to do some tillage and then I talked to my good friend Keith Burns and we've got uh, some buckwheat growing for harvest for him. It's been a beautiful combination. I do not prescribe to tillage, but in this instance where we had these noxious weeds that need to be taken care of, we did tillage, we then came right back immediately and planted the buckwheat and it is a beautiful stand and we've got it thick enough that it has smothered out that Canada thistle that was there. So it's not what I really wanna do every time, Deanne, but it's what we did this time. Thank you for asking. Yes, it does put me in a little bit of an awkward position because I preach no tillage and then we did some tillage this year. So, but I have to be honest, open, transparent, and I cannot mislead anyone. So yes, we did do tillage. So thank you. I will refrain from the rest of 22 stating that we are 100% no-till. I think it's maybe 98% now. So thank you. Um, uh, great, great comment, great question. Let's see what, uh, Deanne had something else there. Uh, I hear, I hear you, Rick. Weeds are weeds are the reason we occasionally use chemicals and why we are not organic. Yeah, it's very, it's very hard. Um, you know what? Uh, you know what? I'm going to start. This may not be basics, but I'm going to stay right here for just a minute on this organic, folks. This this organic is hard. Um, trying to do organic with no tillage or I can't say that in 22 anymore with with limited tillage 98% no till um, this is hard uh, we came out of the the winter 
uh, this year with hardly any or any cereal rye, most of a winter kill. We had less than 2,000 pounds of biomass. We uh, decided to drill a lot of our soybeans. We upped the rate of the drill, probably a little too high, but we've got quite a few beans out there. We're trying to suppress weeds with the beans. You can only do that for so long. We've got a pretty good explosion of weeds right now. I had a feeling this is what was gonna happen, but that's what happens when you only have 2,000 pounds of, of biomass. So, you know, I often get asked, Rick, can you feed the world the way you farm? Probably not, but we're getting better at it all the time. So I, I never ever tell people that they need to farm the way we farm. I never do that. What I try to do is explain how we farm and then I try to explain how people that farm that don't do anything regenerative and there's all kinds of room that we can meet on this curve and that's what today's all about. Uh, 101 basics. We're going to go way over by the left side of the curve here where folks are trying to do something different than what grandpa did or what your dad does. There's nothing wrong with the way they farm. Not a thing. We're not here to put anybody down. We're not here to offend anybody. If we are, if we are doing that, we are wrong. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. What we're trying to do is to teach you a couple of concepts that you could take back to your practice, your farming system, and incorporate one or two ideas into your existing system and see for yourself if this is gonna work or not. So if I ever tell anyone that they're doing something incorrectly, stop me because shame on me, that's not my, that's not my position or my job to do that. We're here to help you, try to teach you, I'm going to, I'm trying to show you how to take five or six years of pitfalls out. All those things that I've done that maybe didn't work, but I learned a lot from them. I can try to relate those same concepts to you and save you a bunch of time. So let's see, we got some stuff stacked up here. Uh, Jeremy, hi, I'm an organic farmer in Michigan. I struggle with getting micronutrients in the plant. Manure doesn't have uh, many micros. How do you handle micronutrients? Good question. We, we here, Jeremy, uh, I, I have been very stubborn. I have tried to make this transition from high tillage, high chemistry, to greatly reduced tillage to no-till to greatly reduced chemistry. We did that for, and fertility, we did that for five or six years, seven. Then we went to uh, this, this organic notion. So I've been very stubborn. I have not brought anything along for the ride, meaning I've not done any sap analysis. We haven't done tissue testing because I was stubborn enough to think that we could grow our own biology and then that biology would either a help unlock those micronutrients or if we were to do sap testing we would see that we might need some zinc or we might need some uh, magnesium or some boron and i just was stubborn to not to do those things but 
I am saying today and from here forward, don't be as stubborn as I was. Take the benefit of what that SAP analysis can do for you. I think it's a great concept. You've got a growing plant out there and you're going to take the oldest leaves from that plant down toward the bottom and you're going to take the youngest leaves off of the top, put them in two separate bags and then you're going to send them to a lab and they're going to tell you what you're deficient in. Then for the most part, Jeremy, you're going to now need to go out and you can find almost in any instance you're going to find an organically approved micronutrient. Now, you still have to get it approved by your certifying agency and typically what a certifying agency is going to want to see is a test result. Bam! You just took the SAP analysis that told you you were short on boron. So submit that SAP analysis to your certifying agency. Tell them the, the amount you're going to apply per acre. Make sure it's within normal limits. They're probably going to sign off on it. And, and I think, Jeremy, we need to be foliar feeding these micros probably two or three times throughout the growing season. I, I really do. Um, I, I really think we need to come up with a, a microbial system that does maybe this. Maybe we, we, uh, we go with a seed treatment, either a dry powder shake on or, or you get a liquid slurry or you get a machine that will apply it to your, your, cat, your soybean or your corn kernel and then you immediately put it in your planter and go plant. And then if you have the ability, I think we could also be in furrow feeding at the time of planting. So we're, we're putting something on the seed that is right there. The microbes are gonna, are gonna congregate right there around that seed and help that environment immediately. Then as that plant grows out and those roots come out, it then hits what you put on with the, the um, in furrow then maybe now the plant is at V3, say it's a corn plant, it's at V3, V4, V5. You go out, you do a sap test. It's stating now that you're deficient in this, this, and this. Get it approved from your certifying agency. If you're organic, if you're not organic, you don't need to do that. Go out and, and I think we need to look at some of these microbes and these micros as spoon feeding like we've been taught to do when you're trying to reduce nitrogen is to spoon feed the night i think we've got to be doing the same thing here so i hope i answered the question we've done more of this this year than we ever have and i can see from walking into the field i can see some changes now they're not drastic but i think i'm seeing now the combine's going to tell the whole answer but I think I can see where some of these attributes we put on have, have been beneficial. So great question. I hope I answered it, but I think we're going to need to get our sprayers out a little bit more and do some, some foliar feeding. Um, Ludmila, buckwheat can suppress weeds very well, even in stunned perennial weeds. You got it. Uh, buckwheat is an amazing amazing species and folks i'm telling you right now if you have the opportunity when you are building a cocktail and what i mean by opportunity is the weather opportunity buckwheat is very fragile 
when it gets below 35, 34, 33 degrees, it's a goner. It's going to fold up tent and it's over. So you're going to need to give yourself 35, 45, 50 days. That's where we come into this. Um, when you've got a cereal grain in your rotation and you then do not double crop a, a, a secondary crop behind that cereal crop, you now have an opportunity to put out a massive cocktail. And even for a beginner, you, 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 you go out and you put in six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. I mean, we're putting in 14 things sometimes, 14 different species. So I think what we probably should do, let me look through the questions here real quick, but I really want to start. This is supposed to be basics 101. I want to start at the beginning and let's go through a bean program. And then let's start at the beginning and let's go through a corn program. That's what I'd like to do. But let's see what kind of, of questions or comments we, we've got here. Uh, Lou Mila is saying, yes, organic no-till is hardest. It, it is, and Deanne is, is totally in agreement. Um, okay, Claudia. Claudia is another, another patron here. Thank you for being on again. If we do not change the way we do farming from less till and no-till chemicals, then we will have more temperature extremes that will not be able to grow anything that could feed this world. Bay has treatments for seed. It is organic. We have microbial products that are registered. There you go, CISBAY, C-I-S-B-A-Y. Uh, Claudia works for that company. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to look at that company and um, we're, we're gonna probably use some of the products there. And they were very open and honest with me earlier. Um, they wanted us to try, but everyone agreed we were probably too late in the game. And I admire that because most people would try to shove something down your throat and they didn't. So uh, I appreciate that. Uh, Lude Myla, I sure hope I'm saying your name correctly. Uh, homemade Johnson Sioux as a seed treatment, a homemade fermented weeds from your fields and fermented seaweed typically takes care of deficiencies as a foliar starting week five and use when bricks falls below 12. Perfect, perfect. So let's let's go into what uh, Lude Milo is saying. Just a little, let's bring this down again. This is basics. Okay, so a, a Johnson Sioux reactor. Uh, Google that. This is called a bioreactor, and what's happening here is you are wanting to use items from within your own farm, just like Lude Milo said. So. When leaves are getting ready to fall, go out and rake up leaves and you're going to put them into a container. Go online, Google Johnson Sioux Reactor and, and uh, uh, Mrs., uh, Mrs. Johnson, her last name is Sue, S-U. Uh, so look, look that up. Um, and like what we did, we, we used some horse manure from, from my wife's horses. Um, I think I had maybe a little sheep manure in there. We had uh, sawdust that was local. We had uh, some leaves. We had some alfalfa bales that were baled. And that's how we built our, our Sioux reactor. And this is exactly what Lude Mile was talking about. That's going to become a tremendous uh, seed treatment. 
and we're going to try if we can get all everything pulled together here we we, we really need to have a, i need to get a hold of david and we really need to have a podcast on this johnson sioux reactor but we're going to need to get an extractor and i want to do exactly what lude myla said i want to uh, treat the seed and then i want to uh, foliar feed in in furrow uh, feed in furrow and then we're going to come back and foliar feed so now let's go to her last comment is bricks b-r-i-x and bricks is a a a system that determines the sugar levels in whatever it is you are testing typically you'll go into a a uh, field that has uh, forages growing or some kind of a cocktail growing and and what they've got is they've got a it's a it's a simple device you can buy online it's like 30 or 40 bucks and what it's reading is the amount of light that comes through um, within the juices of that plant so you put the plant in in this apparatus and you squeeze it down and it extracts out the liquid from within that uh, probably the chlorophyll and then you hold it up to light and then the sunlight and then it will give you a brick bricks reading and she's exactly right anything below 12 is probably not good and then let's stay right here again base 101 basics here another question i get asked a lot is how do we handle pest problems because we don't spray anything right here when you can achieve bricks levels that are 12 to 14 or higher pests will not typically bother your cash crop because they do not want to eat things that are high in sugar if you can believe that but that is the case so sometimes when people either a hear of a neighbor that's having a army worm outbreak or they maybe they've been out scouting their own field and they've seen the little army worms that are a quarter of an inch long and they're just getting started they will mix up a batch of sugar water and go out and spray on their cash crop to try and deter that pest from consuming and and defoliating and maybe even destroying their cash crop so bricks is a very important indicator it's an easy one you don't need a lot of money invested 40 bucks you can carry it with you in your truck it's or your car it's very very simple Lou Myla thank you um, and Claudia is given it's cisbaysoil.com c-i-s-b-a-y-s-o-i-l.com it's right there in the chat uh, Brian, uh, most standard Malik 3 tests will do micronutrient levels as well and predominantly come back low, even though it's not accurate or available. Just make sure they have calibrated levels to show the certifier. Excellent. So once again, what Brian is trying to say is probably you do a standard test, they're always going to come back uh, low. And a standard test I would not recommend, and I doubt Brian does either. I'm not going to speak for him, but I would do a Haney test. But his point is, if you want to make sure you're going to show short of zinc, short boron, and probably short molybdenum, go get a standard test done. It's going to come back 
short deficit on all three, show your certifier, and they'll say, go right ahead, as long as you're giving them the rate that is within tolerable range. Very good, thank you, Brian. Claudia, this is my first digital card. If you need it, info, please let me know and we can work with Rick to make sure it will benefit you. I don't understand how the digital card works very well, Claudia, but uh, I think we need a podcast on that as well sometime. So maybe you can give a little quick highlight there and just uh, go ahead and write that in the chat for us if you would. Just give a brief description of, of the, the digital card. Um, okay, let's see, uh, Michael, okay, Rick, uh, lots of new terminology. Can you explain new names that go along with this new world of terminology, especially the basic examples, bricks, Haney, tests, etc. Yeah, I, I, I tried to explain uh, the bricks. That, that is a, a reading that's going to come, um, uh, Let's see, what's he got? Yeah, that bricks work by Dr. Ron Dykstra discovered that a 14 plus brick showed that insects cannot feed on these plants as the carbohydrates are too complex. How do you, how you do that? Foliar feeding will boost the bricks levels. There you go. So it's, it's all about biology. It's about building those complex carbohydrates. Then those pests can't eat, they can eat them. They can't then deal with them within their body and they will die. So thank you. That's exactly what I want to have happen here. We get going somewhere. Somebody come in and give me what you, you've got about this. I appreciate it. The Haney test. The Haney test is a soil health test. And I guess, you know, this is kind of a bold statement here, but if you have an agronomist that will not do a Haney test for you, you probably need to get a different agronomist. Now, I know that's kind of a bold statement, but with that being said, they're probably not concerned at all about soil health because that's what the Haney test is all is all about. Now, there are several people out there that that you can hire. Uh, my good friend Mitchell Hora has a has a company that that uh, you can hire him. He has people located all around the United States. Uh, it's Continuum Ag. Uh, Rachel, would you type that in? It's C-O-N-T-I-N-U-U-M Ag.com, Continuum.Ag.com. Uh, Mitchell has several uh, agronomists stationed around the United States. They can come and pull samples. Um, so that would be a way and uh, we like to send either to uh, Ward Labs in Nebraska or um, Lance Gunderson's Regen Ag Lab in Nebraska. And if you go online and, and look up uh, either one of those two labs, they will have, I know Lance does and I'm pretty sure Ray does, they will have a section in there that will totally explain every step of the Haney test, what it is you're looking at, and and what does you know gram positive to gram negative mean what's uh back uh predator prey relationship mean it'll explain all that stuff so those are things that that i would consider doing when you're getting started because i'm always preaching about data and i'm always preaching about baselining your farm 
Rachel's got continuum ag in the chat. Thank you very much. Uh, Lude Myla put up uh, uh, Lance's website. Thank you. These are great resources and they really try to get this down to a level that we all can understand what we're looking at. So now let's start. I, okay, number one, number one on the list. If you are in a farming operation right now that is high tillage, high fertility, high chemistry, and you are, are listening to what I'm saying or other people are saying, and you're ready to maybe start something. Okay, rule number one in Rick's opinion, you need to have success the first time you try this because if you do not, I'm afraid you will not come back, okay? So let's do that again. You need to have success the first time you do this. Okay, so with that being said, I wanna start with cereal rye and soybeans. Okay, now cereal rye is very, very forgiving. And here's what I mean by that. It is very winter hardy. It is not so much decided on when you need to plant this in the fall. Now, you will see differences in the spring. If you plant cereal rye in the first week of September, and then you look at a field, or you look at that field next spring, it is going to come out of dormancy sooner. It's going to put on tillers sooner. It is going to fill out and take off and start growing sooner than a cereal rye that was planted in the first week of October. Now, they're both still gonna do their thing, but I'm telling you that earlier planted cereal rye in the fall is going to be ahead of the later planted cereal rye in the fall next spring. Okay, so I, I don't care where you are, let's just, let's just pick, pick some kind of a reference point and I'm going to use a reference point of, of 30 days before the first hard freeze. Okay, so I don't care where you are. If you're in Iowa, that might be October the 10th. If you're in uh, um, Southern Kentucky, that might be uh, November the 1st. I, I don't know, but I'm just wanting to say 30 days before the first hard freeze, we're going to plant cereal rye after a corn crop that you harvested. And what I'd like for you to do on your first time out is plant this cereal rye at 50 pounds to the acre. Now, I also want everyone who's listening, if you're still using chemistry, I want you to terminate this, this cereal rye next spring with some chemistry, okay? Remember, I want you to have success the first time we try this. So we're gonna go out, you're gonna harvest the corn, and you're gonna get your drill in there, and you're gonna plant 50 pounds of cereal rye. Now, at this point in time, on the example that I'm on right now, we're going to chemically terminate. It doesn't matter what kind of rye you use. There's two kinds of rye availability. There's rye that is variety specific. In other words, it's Elbon, and that's all it is. It's Hazlitt, 
That's all it is. And there's rye that is VNS, Victor, Nancy, Samantha, VNS, variety not stated. Okay, that means you could have six different varieties. So you've got rye that's going to uh, mature when it's six feet tall. You've got rye that's going to mature when it's four feet tall. You've got rye that's going to mature today. You've got rye that's going to mature 10 days from today. So it's all over the board. Now, if you are going to mechanically terminate that with a roller crimper, this is not good because it's not all going to roll and crimp at the same time. But since we're chemically terminating here in this example, I don't care what you do, the, and the VNS is going to be a little bit cheaper. So let's go out and let's plant 50 pounds of cereal rye, and it's going to come out, and it's going to uh, get, get started in the fall, and then it's going to go through the winter, it's going to go into dormancy, and it's going to come out of dormancy next spring. Uh, Jeremy, I'll get to your question here in just a minute. Okay, now, again, I don't know what, this is not a date thing, but the rye is gonna come out of dormancy, and for us in the Midwest, it's gonna be somewhere in the first couple weeks of April. Depends on your weather. Now, what I would really, really like for you to do is to wait, if you would, until the cereal rye is at least 18 inches tall. Okay, that's not very tall. That's just about your knee, a little bit below your knee, that's it. Now I'm telling you right now that almost every planter that's out there that's planting into a tilled field can handle planting green into 12 to 18 inch tall rye. Then I want you to terminate it within two days after you plant. Okay? Now, the beans are in April. It's probably going to take seven or eight days because the ground's still a little bit on the cool side. You've sprayed on day two after planting. That rye is already starting to get that dull green look to it and it's starting on, on about two weeks now when your beans are starting to come out and be at about that true leaf stage, that rye is starting to kind of, ugh, starting to lay over a little bit. Okay, you've now just experienced your first cover crop practice and you even planted green. I'm telling you, at 12 to 18 inch tall rye, it will just wiggle through your planter and come right out the back end. You need nothing fancy schmancy on this planter. Now, I apologize, I got something I forgot to start with here. So if you're taking notes, I apologize, but here's number one. Let's take a soil sample on this one field that you're trying this on. So I hope it's a 20 acre field. Do not jeopardize the livelihood of the farm. So let's take a soil sample and let's see where you are. This is the baseline. Let's see where your pH is. I'd really love for you to take a Haney test. 
It'll give you organic carbon. It'll give you organic nitrogen. It'll give you inorganic nitrogen. So let's just talk right there for a minute. Inorganic nitrogen versus organic nitrogen. When you are in a system that's been in high tillage and high fertility and you pull a Haney test, more than likely you will be high inorganic nitrogen and very low, if any, organic nitrogen because you have no biology. But as the time goes on and you slowly pull away from tillage and you're decreasing your synthetic load here of these of this fertility and chemistry, your your inorganic, which is way up here, and your organic, which is down here, are going to start to do this. And then you're going to have high organic levels, <coughs> excuse me, and that's what you want because organic nitrogen is now very stable in the profile. And the reason why this is happening is because you now have given your microbial community the, the breath of fresh air to start to live again because you're stopping tillage and you're slowing down on, on salts and acids. And now the, the biology is converting that nitrogen into organic nitrogen. Okay, I hope that, I hope that makes sense now. So you've probably heard people talk about inorganic nitrogen and organic nitrogen. Okay, now, so that's what I want you to do first in the fall. And you can do that after you plant the rye. It doesn't have to be before the rye. I want you in the field planting that rye as that combine is getting done and putting its head on the head cart to leave, the drill is coming right there to finish the field. That's how we do it. That drill is in the same field with the combine. Call your agronomist, come in, pull some Haney tests, and away we go. All right, now let me hold it there for a moment. Let's see what we got a couple things happening here. Jeremy, uh, you said your covers, including rye, had a very high rate of winter kill last year. Mine did too. Do you know why? Too wet, too much freeze and thaw. Yes, sir. Jeremy, where, where, and if you don't mind, tell me where you're from, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Um, yes, Jeremy, here in where we are in West Central Indiana, we had a very, very cold stretch of winter here with very limited to no snow cover. And it really wreaked havoc on the cereal rye. And that's one answer. Number two is when we came out of the dormancy in April, the rye looked really good. What well, was the rye that was there? Then we got a frost event around April the 20th or 22nd, 23rd, somewhere in that area. We got a frost event and smoked what was there. That's number two. And then number three, Jeremy, I think, I think is a self-inflicted wound. And here's what I mean. Again, I've got to be transparent with everyone. We have been on a steady increase of, a, of planting cereal rye every fall. When we started, we started at 30 or 40 pounds. Then we went 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100. Last fall, 
we started at 135 pounds and by the time we got done we were at 150 and I think we've gone too far especially 150 pounds of Elbon. Elbon has a very high seed count so we were probably approaching 3 million plants per acre. Too much. Too much. Too much competition. Too much everything. So I think we did it to ourselves plus the other two, the other two weather events that I described. Okay. Ludmila, um, Jeremy, after, or Jeremy, losing winter covers happens when a specific bacterium, a Pseudomonas, syringe uh, facilitatus ice crystal formation that cuts plant tissues causing frost damage uh, the perfect predator that devours pseudonomus syringe comes right out of the back end of the worms in your jo uh, having johnson sue bioreactor see uh, this lady's a phd so uh, she knows way more about this than i do um, if you have only a few frosty nights in winter, it may make economic sense to spray crops you want to keep from getting frost damage with molasses and sea salt solution of Johnson Sioux extract or any other fresh vermicompost extract. That is an excellent idea, and I think what we're going to try to start to do here, I love the way uh, Ludmila thinks here. I, I thank you. Um, I think we need to be foliar feeding these cocktails that we're planting in the fall. Now, what I don't know, and maybe Lou Mila can come back here and answer this question for me, is how many days before freezing do we need to pull this off so that we don't just instantly kill the microbes that we just foliar applied? That, that would, I, I'm going to imagine that they're either A, if it makes it to the ground, they're going to get in pretty quick, or B, whatever hits that, <coughs> that plant, excuse me, is probably going to be absorbed pretty quickly. But let's wait for Lou Mila to come back. Okay, Ashley, Ashley Farr. Uh, Rick, I have a field we harvested triticale from and planted a cover crop mix of winter rye, two varieties of clover, tillage radish, and winter peas. I love it. I am seeing some significant growth on average about 12 inches today. Can I harvest this for feed or am I better off to leave it? I pulled soil samples on this field today. Where should I send them looking for more info that just standard test? Okay. Uh, the, we've got the Ludmila put the website back there. Look back in the chat for uh, Regen Ag Labs. Tell them you want a, a feed analysis and what you need to do Ashley is you need to go out and you need to measure a two foot by two foot square so take your tape measure made um, Jeremy you're in central Michigan okay uh, measure a two foot by two foot square and I would do this on a Monday or Tuesday because you need to overnight this to their lab they need to get it during the, you know, in midweek so that it doesn't sit there in their, in their uh, office for over the weekend is what I'm getting at. You're going to then put this in an overnight bag 
and you're going to ship it to Lance overnight and ask him to run a feed analysis on it and you want to know everything. You want to know carbon to nitrogen, you want to know organic carbon, you want to know uh, micros, macros, you want to know pH, everything, okay? That is going to help tell you what values are in that above ground nutrient. Now, Ashley, tell me, uh, tell me where you are located and before I answer if you should take this off or let it go. Uh, because it's going to depend on where you are. Um, Claudia, here in California, because of the use of nitrogen and potassium, the runoff went into the bay and the lakes, and we are now getting massive algae blooms, killing fish, and some wildlife. This is why we have to go to regenerative farming, uh, and this is why I love learning more about this way of farming to heal our earth. Thank you. And there's the Regen Ag Lab. Uh, Rachel, just put it up again for everybody. And Ashley, you're in northern Vermont. Oh boy, it's going to be getting cold soon. Um, I would be very careful. Now, what's your plan, Ashley, for, are you going to bring corn into this then? Is this your fuel for, for corn? Because you said you've got two varieties of clover, peas. I'm assuming you're going to corn. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm making the assumption. Yes, corn next year. All right, I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't do a thing. I'm, okay, let me ask you one more question. Do you have, is it fenced off and can you run cattle on it? That's, I'm going to get a drink while she replies back. I don't have a fence and I don't need the feed. Okay, then do nothing. Let this thing melt down. You're gonna be golden. If it's 12 inches tall, oh my gosh, Ashley, next spring, you are going to have a tremendous, tremendous opportunity to greatly reduce your synthetic nitrogen load next spring. Now, another question for you. How are you gonna terminate? You go ahead and reply to that, and I'm gonna see what Michael's got here. Appreciate how to get started with soybeans following corn. How about getting started with corn following soybeans? I pick up something new each time you talk, especially the basics. Thanks, Rick. Well, thank you. I appreciate the kind words. That's why we're doing this. Michael, I'm going to get to the corn in just a minute. Here we go. You're going to plant green and chemically terminate after planting. Perfect. Okay. Actually, this is how we knocked it out of the park when we were still using chemistry. We would do exactly what you've got there. I don't know how you got to that point. You either came behind the cereal grain, you either did a regen year on that field, you've done something. You have not taken a cash crop of corn or beans off and by September the 8th have 12 inch tall foliage. So I commend you for whatever it is you did. That's what needs to happen. So. So Michael, this is the basis for getting started with corn right here. Let's just go into it, okay? This is what you want to look like on September the 8th of what Ashley's describing. She's got peas, and I don't know what peas she planted. If she planted a winter, I think she maybe she said winter peas. Uh, they will survive. Um, yes, winter peas and two clovers, the clovers will survive, the winter peas will survive, 
the um, the winter rye will survive, and I think she said she had tillage. Yeah, and the radishes will will winter kill. That means the radishes will die. So she's got a great mix here. Now, if I was to add anything to this, I would have put in there 20 to 30 pounds of oats because the oats would also winter kill and the oats and the rye combination to what it does to the soil is fabulous. Okay, so now we've set ourselves up because we've come, uh, we've come out of a cereal grain or we've come out of a regen year, which again, let me explain regen in case if you're a new listener to me, it's when you take an acre out of production. I know that seems crazy, but you take an acre out of production and you just feed it all the cocktails and all the species that you can all summer long, all spring and all summer long. Cool season, warm season. Then you get ready and maybe in the warm season you've already got what you need for next year's corn. I would recommend Balanza Fixation Clover, maybe some Bursine Frosty, uh, a hairy vetch, uh, some winter peas like a, a, a survivor winter pea. So now, okay, so let me, I'm getting, I'm getting too far away from the basics here. Um, four pounds of, of Balanza Clover, four pounds of, of hairy vetch, four pounds of maybe Bursine Frosty Clover, and that's, that's plenty. Three and three would be enough. If you're going to use th two clovers and a vetch, three pounds, three pounds, and, and three pounds of vetch. Let's do that. Three pounds of, of uh, Balanza Fixation, three pounds of Frosty Bursine, three pounds of a hairy vetch, okay? And let's go with five to ten pounds of uh, a winter hardy pea like a survivor, okay? And then, now again, this is going to come sometime in late July, early August is what I'm talking here. 20 pounds of, of oats, 20 pounds of cereal rye, 2 pounds of radish, 2 pounds of turnip, 2 pounds of sunflower, 2 pounds of sun hemp, five pounds of sorghum sudan. Now, everything that I just mentioned there is going to winter kill if you are in an environment that gets below 20 degrees in the winter, except for the two clovers, the vetch, and the rye. Now, I am not at all worried about the rye here because Ashley said she's gonna chemically terminate. Perfect. This is what we did for years, folks. We planted green into this cocktail that Ashley's describing. Next spring, when the, the radishes is dead are dead, the, the oats are dead, the turnips are dead, the sorghum sudan's dead, all that's dead. You got the two clovers and the vetch and the peas, that's all that's left, and some rye you're out there planting corn after Mother's Day 
typically it's after May 20th, somewhere between May 20th and June 1st, green into a beautiful lush green legume cocktail that's probably 20 to 22 inches tall, probably at this point has eight to 9,000 pounds of biomass. You plant green into that, you come back, and we did this non-GMO, we would plant, or we would spray five days after we planted non-GMO corn, five days, with 16 ounces of Roundup and a gallon of 28, UAN 28%. That's it, that's all you need. And you will smoke all of that. And, and now what's happening here, when you chemically terminate these clovers and, and the vetch and the peas, they are much more willing to give up and release and let the microbes do their job so much quicker than mechanical termination, you are now getting massive amounts of nutrients available for that corn crop within the first three weeks of when you chemically terminated that legume cover crop. This is huge. Now we would do this way back in the beginning when we were still some non-GMO and you let the corn get to about V4 and then you come in and terminate. Oh my gosh, the corn turned so dark green it almost looks black. That is what can happen here. So now, here's what I want you to also do. And Ashley, I want you to do this. This will be a cool test for you. If Now, tomorrow's Friday, so why don't you do me a favor and wait till Monday or Tuesday of next week. Take this two foot by two foot sample and you go out with maybe some pruning shears or a pair of scissors or something and you're gonna clip everything off at the ground. Don't take any dirt, it's just right at the ground. Put it in a bag, seal it, overnight it to Lance, and he'll send you the test results back. And you keep those on your desk. Then next spring, if you wanna do a couple of these, you're gonna, it's gonna be pretty cool for you to see what, what's happening here. I would take one when you start to see the first blooms coming out of the clovers. As soon as you see the first bloom, take do the two foot by two foot. That's probably going to be ballparking it, northern Vermont, probably April 20th, April 25th. Uh, no, I'm sorry, May, May 20th, somewhere in that area, May 20th. Then what I want you to do is take another two foot by two foot sample the day you plant. And then if you really want to do it and you go with me and you wait five days, then take another sample right before you spray the termination pass. And you are going to see, here, I want to show you something. This, this is the power of Belanza fixation clover. Now I want you to look right here. 75 pounds of in was, and we're doing the same thing here, guys. Two foot by two foot sample, clip it off, send it to Lance. 
May 20th, 75 pounds. May or June 4th, 114 pounds. June the 8th, 262 pounds. This is the kind of fun everyone's going to see if you do what I just described to do. Actually, take take your test next Monday or Tuesday. Keep that number. Go do it somewhere around this May 20th and then do it the day you plant and then do it the day you terminate. Now we mechanically terminated right here on June the 8th. But look at this organic carbon, 5,200 pounds per acre of organic carbon. Unbelievable. So this is the kind of stuff that we can see. So again, you cannot do this if you harvest corn on October the 10th and live in central Michigan. It's not going to happen because your legumes are not going to survive. Okay, Ashley's uh, average frost is October 20th. I'm telling you, you need 45 days. So back up the calendar from October 20th, back up 45 days, and that's when you need to be planting. So, Jeremy, I think you're the one that asked. This is how we're gonna do this with corn. Now, here's what I wanna also describe here. Let's assume that you're somewhere around that 100 pound of what you've, uh, the legumes have fixed for you. Because remember, there's 78% nitrogen all around us. I've been told that there is 30,000 tons 30,000 tons of available nitrogen that sits above every acre of ground in the Midwest. 30,000 tons. Let's plant some legumes and let's fix that free nitrogen and let's turn it into that diagram I just put up here on the screen. So now let's go with the assumption here that the day you plant, you have 80 pounds of N in that sample. Now remember, this is the day you plant. I'm gonna ask you not to terminate for five more days. You saw what it did on June the 4th, it was at 114, <clears throat> four days. To June the 8th, it went to 262. So that's why I recommend we delay terminating until four or five days after planting. You don't wanna to get too close to when that non-GMO plant, if you're planting, non-GMO is going to be out of the ground. If you're not planting non-GMO and you're planting GMO, wait till the corn is like V2. That's like two weeks. And let all this fuel come to fruition for you. But in this scenario, let's assume you're going to take 100 pounds credit because everything I showed you on that board is not available immediately. The microbes have to break this down and convert it to an organic nitrogen that the plant wants to take up, okay? So out of that 262 pounds, I'm gonna take for sure 100 pounds credit of that. But now let's, I don't, that's not where I wanna be here though. I wanna be that you're not planting on June the 8th, you're gonna plant on May 30th. Gonna wait five days and you're now going to take credit for uh, that that's fixed 100 pounds of N, and we're going to only use half of it.
So this is how I want you to start with corn. You've got to come behind a cereal crop or a regen year or a grazing year and get the cattle off of there by September the 1st. Get this cocktail planted and you can even plant this cocktail when the cattle are out there. It's not going to hurt anything for a week or two. Get the cattle off, get this cocktail growing. And then when you get to this point next spring, I want you to reduce your synthetic nitrogen by 50 pounds. Right now, nitrogen is $1.10 a pound of N. So, if you were to reduce 50 pounds, that's $55 an acre. We're going to save you on synthetic in because you've got it in this legume package that you planted. Now, when you look at the, the test, I want you to take the day you terminate, you're really going to see how much nitrogen you got but I don't want you to shortchange yourself the first time out of the gate. Let's don't get too crazy here. Because remember, I said we've got to stay basic here. I want you to have success the first time you try this. So 50 pounds of reduction max, maybe more like 30 or 40 pounds. And then you can start to see that you can become less dependent on these synthetic nitrogen, uh, synthetic chemistry, and all these other things. And again, I would use the same thing. I'd use 16 ounces of Roundup with maybe five gallons of 28. You might as well put a little bit of nitrogen out there to help your corn plant. When it comes up, that'll be 15 units of N. And that's all you need. So we've kind of walked through a bean program and we've kind of walked through a corn program. So now I've, there's a bunch of questions piled up here. Let me, let me see if I can get to them here. Um, okay. Uh, harvested the small grain this, okay, this is from Ashley. See, here we go. Harvested the small grain this year, have 40 acres every year to have a year to build soil health. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Yes, you can graze on the region here. That's what she's asking me. Yes, actually, this is exactly how to build the system. They harvested the small grain. They then came in with the cocktail. They did not double crop. They came in with the cocktail and they are rotating 40 acres through their farm and they are doing a regen and now she's asking me if they could graze that you bet but actually do it i mean if you would have asked me this question say uh 15 days ago i would have told you to quick put up a hot wire call your neighbor get some cattle in there and get them on and in and out in a hurry get them off of there do not eat below 50 percent of what's there and get them in out in a hurry get the regrowth on it and get ready for winter but i think you're too close i think right now you're too close unless you can pull it off 
by the middle of next week, and I mean a quick, quick, quick cattle pass across there. So see what you can do. Okay, Deanne, we had 500 acres into Regen this year. Our goal is to have 25% of cropland into Regen mix in rotation. We aren't there yet. Awesome. This is how you get to making this system work. This is exactly how you do it. Thank you. Thank you, Deanne. Thank you, Ashley. This is exactly how you do it. Lumila, any vermicompost extract contains pseudomonas fluorescence, I'm sure I'm butchering that, which when applied with molasses and sea salt until freeze solution can diminish population of the frost crystal costing, causing the pseudomonas syringe even when applied the day of the predicted night frost. Okay, that said, two to three days ahead of the predicted frost, especially at the positive te temperatures, pseudomonas fluorescens would work better. Thank you. There you go. So we're going to probably do that. We are probably going to apply biology to the growing cover crops that get planted this fall. I, I love it. Now remember, whenever you do things like this, you got to leave check strips. Leave a check strip out in the field. That means you leave an area of the field that does not get applied so that you can look at it and decide if what you did is right or wrong. Okay, great. This is just, this is exactly what I wanted, the kind of feedback. Ashley, should I be waiting until later to plant by the looks of the chart I should usually plant early May. You're talking about planting your corn. Um, yes, I would like to see you plant just a little bit later. Uh, when do you usually plant corn? Corn likes to be planted after Mother's Day. Yeah, that's what Lou Mila is saying. Um, yeah, okay, all right, Ed. I'll, I'll, I'll mention that, Ed. Just hang on just a moment. Thank Ed's another... Another loyal listener. Thanks, Ed. I hope we get to meet one day. Um, yeah, first two weeks in May, Ashley. Okay. All right. So, Ashley, I, if you could, man, give me another week and wait till after. I think Mother's Day is the third. Or no, Mother's Day is the second Sunday in May. Father's Day is the third Sunday in June. Uh, can you give me until May 20th and then plant your corn? I mean, look at the weather. You know, maybe maybe there's a rain event coming in. The 18th would probably be okay, but um, um, come in, come in as you know as close as you can to the 20th of May, because you saw on that chart what four days. I mean, May 20th, it's just now getting kickstarted and going. So let's try to give it. And and where you are anyway in northern Vermont. I can't imagine that you would mind waiting until May 20th or 25th to plant corn. I got to think it's it's still kind of cool, but but that's just me. That's just me. All right. Um, Ed wants me to, to talk a little bit about uh, what I've got going on next week. Um, I don't usually like to um, blow my own horn, but but Ed's asked me to and I will. Um, 
I have, I am so overwhelmed and so overjoyed. I have been asked to testify uh, in front of Congress uh, about regenerative farming, why we need regenerative farming, can we do regenerative farming to scale, uh, will this work across many um, regions of the United States? Uh, they really want to take a deep dive and, and really investigate um, all of the inner workings of this system. And, and I have been, I'm humbled and I couldn't be more proud uh, that I have been asked to, to come and, and, and speak on, on regenerative farming. So, Ed, thanks for bringing that up. Um, it's next Wednesday, I believe, the 14th. I think, um, I think there is a link that you can come in and watch it. Um, Mr. Gabe Brown did this earlier in February and he knocked it out of the park. I, I'm sure I won't be able to hold a candle to him, but I will do my best. Um, I'm just thoroughly, thoroughly honored to be asked to do this. So, Ed, thanks for, for mentioning that. Um, well, we'll see how we get along next week. So thank you. Um, okay, Claudia. Yeah, you're, thank you, Claudia. Very proud of me uh, knowing that you're going to make a difference to them. We'll pray for you and for them to have open minds. That's exactly right. We, we got to have open minds. That, that's what everyone needs here. And again, you know, we're doing some pretty crazy stuff here, and that's not what I'm going to go to D.C. to sell them on. I'm going to go over to D.C. to sell them that we can greatly reduce inputs and still maintain yield, if not increase yield, but we drastically increase ROI and the profitability of the farm. That's what this is all about. It's not about growing bushels or tons or, or pounds or whatever. It's about maximizing that yield and being a good steward to the land, building soil health and building human health. So that's what it's all about. Um, there you go. Ed has come back and said the House Ag Committee has a YouTube channel that shows the hearings live and are available after the hearing. So just go on YouTube, search for um, Ag Committee hearings, and I'm sure it'll send you to some kind of a, of a link to get you onto a YouTube channel. Well, I've been working on this for quite some time. I'm, I've got uh, I am not going to have a written, I mean, there is a written presentation that has to be submitted, but I'm not going to be reading, I'm not going to be sitting here reading. I'm going to be speaking from my heart and from my soul. And I will have bullet points in front of me to keep me on, on task, but I am going to sit there and, and tell them the journey that this farm has gone through I'm going to tell them the economic benefits. I'm going to tell them the pain and the anguish that we've gone through. I'm going to tell them everything. They have to know everything. We can't just sugarcoat this and give them all the good stuff. I will put in, there's a lot of hardship involved here too, but with the proper teaching, um, we can accomplish anything. So yes, 
Claudia, I hope they do have open minds. I do. Okay. Um, any other questions? We've gone for about an hour and 15 minutes here. I hope this was brought down. Um, Kevin, I don't know if you're out there tonight. Uh, if you are, would you please respond and, and let me know if I did what you wanted? I, I don't know. Um, I was trying to make this simple. Uh, we tried not to have very many technical terms. Um, anybody got any last comments they, they would like to, to throw out here before I uh, pull the plug on this one? Ashley, when should I apply my pre-plant fertilizer in the spring? Um, and you, when you say pre-plant, you mean 28%? Is that what you mean? Or, or are you doing other things? I'll wait for her to respond because I, I, I want to make sure I've dry NPK, mostly K. Yes. I would apply those in the spring um, when we also that was one of the first things we did when we shifted into this more of a, of a regenerative mindset we stopped applying any dry fertilizers in the fall um, so yes I would do it in the spring uh, Ludmila, was this year any different for you in terms of cover crop termination? Is that um, is that your is that question to me, Ludmila? Are you asking me that question? Yes, um, yes, yes. Let me go into that. Let me finish with Ashley here. Ashley, yes, please do your dry fertilizers in the spring. And here's. Let me tell you how we reduced our synthetic fertilizer. We took, or yeah, we took soil samples. I don't care. I don't care what you're using. I really don't. And you look at those samples. You sit down with your agronomist. He walks you through the analysis of what what you're looking at. He or she then comes up with a recommendation. Now, this is what we did. Now, we're, we've got fairly large acres here, so pick a percentage of your farm, maybe 10%. We took his recommendation. I did not want to offend him, so I explained what we were going to do because I didn't want to offend him, and we reduced the recommendation by 25% on 500 acres. Now, that's a lot of acres for some people, so maybe do it on 20 acres and do that this year and do that next year and then take another soil sample and see what your see what your levels are doing if your levels are staying the same or maybe even increasing then reduce another 25 percent on that field and bring another one in and start its 25 percent reduction that's how we did it so we started with 500 acres I went two years at a 25%. Our levels, folks, increased. But they increased because we let the cover crops go far, far, far into maturity. I'm going to let me grab this again. Now, this is a legume package. But look right here. 
Look at K2O. On May 20th, 138 pounds. On June the 4th, 213. And on June the 8th, 444. My point is, if we would have terminated on May the 20th, look how much we left behind our potential here. That is how you start to reduce synthetic inputs by letting the cover crop grow to maturity. Look at the power. That's why I named this the power of fixation balanza clover. It's also the power of patience because you have to give it time to get there. So when you start to farm in that method, you do what I just said. So let's go through it real quick again. Take a 20 acre field, take the agronomist recommendations, reduce by 25%, do that for two years, or take a soil sample. First year, take a soil sample, reduce 25% year one, reduce 25% year two, take another soil sample, look at it. If the levels are real close or maybe even a little higher, if you're letting your cover crops go grow into maturity, then on that first 20, take his next recommendation and reduce it another 25. So now you're reducing by 50%. Then you bring another 20 acre field on board to the system and you start there. Take a soil sample, take 25%. So you see where I'm going with this? So then after four years, you're, or after five years or so, your first 20 acre field, you're done with synthetic fertilizer and now you're systematically bringing the rest of the farm on board. This way you do not jeopardize the livelihood of your farm. There's so many things here you've got to be careful of, but if we follow the steps, we can do it. Uh, okay, Lumila, was this year any different for you in terms of cover crop termination? You bet it was. Lumila, when we, we had the absolute worst biomass I've ever experienced in, in my 14 or 15 year career of cover crop. It's the worst. And as you may or may not know, we have a 60 foot INJ roller crimper and I call it my baby. That is my baby that terminates most, if not all, of our cover crops. Ludmila, we, we got that INJ roller crimper out and we rolled 100 acres. That's it. It wasn't worth rolling the other fields because there wasn't enough rye there to roll. So yes, our termination was simply just to let mother nature take its course and it grew up, matured, dropped seed, and it's now fallen in. Ludmila, you can't even see the cereal rye, it's gone. That's how little of it we had. So yes, this year has been extremely, extremely difficult. But it's okay. You know, too many times, too many times in today's society, people base their decisions or their opinions off of perception. So here's what I mean by that. People are gonna drive by our fields and think 
they are an absolute train wreck because there's a lot of weeds in them, but they don't understand the context. They don't understand what's really going on. They are basing that on perception. I look at it as a victory because we had no cover crop. We do not have an easy button of chemistry to push. So we were able to get our beans established early. We got a good foothold. We had seven weeks here of no rain and 95 degrees, which maybe looking back was a good thing because not only did it hold our beans from growing, but it held the weeds from growing too. So the beans were really hanging in there early. That's what got us over the hump. Now, in the last two weeks, the weeds have exploded, but the beans already did their thing. They're full of pods. They've got beans in the pods. Does it look ugly from the road? You bet it does. But when you understand what the whole story is, it's not too bad. So we have to be careful how we look at things and how we judge things. We have to understand what that farmer was going through before we pass judgment. Okay. Okay. Um, Rick, uh, what is your go-to book or references for regen? <sighs> I don't really have one. Everything that we've done here, we've done experimenting. Um, there are books that I've read that I guess there's pieces of several books. Um, but we do testing here all the time. We've usually got six or eight tests going on every year. And that's how we learn. And, and honestly, I'm going to tell you right now, the number one teacher for me is Mother Nature. Mother Nature has absolutely guided this farm on where she wants Regen to go. The second year, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm Mr. I'm Mr. Big Man. I got this all figured out. We did year one. Remember I told you the very, what was number one rule at the very beginning of this podcast? you have to have success the first time you try this we did the very first field we tried this on we planted tillage radish that's all we planted tillage radish not only was the field the next fall the best yielding corn field on the farm it was the best roi return field on the farm so i decided we're going. So we went with the intentions of planting 1500 acres of corn into standing cereal rye farming green. Mother Nature said, I am going to humble this young man and we're going to rain for six weeks. So when I thought we were going to plant corn when the rye was 12 inches tall and terminate five days later, we planted corn when it was four and a half feet tall. But guess what? It worked. I had no idea what I was doing. But we went in, we no-tilled into that rye, we burned it down with chemistry, 
It, the corn looked ugly for the first four weeks of its life. We brought some ammonium sulfate forward, meaning at V3, we went out with a spinner and we spun on 125 pounds of, of uh, um, AMS or ammonium sulfate. So let me get my, to my calculator real quick. Um, 125, I think ammonium sulfate's 0.24, I think. So 30 pounds of N we put on and that corn went from a, a, a yellow, sickly looking yellow, instantly turned green. And then we came back later and Y dropped maybe 20 more gallons of N. So we burned down with 15 gallons of 28, we burned down. So that's uh, 45 pounds of N. We put on 30 with the AMS is 75. And I think we put on, actually, I think we put on uh, 25 gallons. So that's another 75 pounds. So that's 150 pounds of N we put on. Best corn we, we raised anywhere on the farm. So mother nature has been pushing me on where to go here. Um, how, okay, uh, Ashley, I'm sorry, I've gotten too out of sync here. How early or closer to planting? What's your reference to there? I'm sorry. Um, Claudia, is Finian make peace kiss the ground going to the house ag two? His movie really opened my eyes and I know it will open the eyes of more of their timing is right. God bless. Yes, Finian will be there, Claudia. Yes, yes, he will. Um, okay, Brian, how does a first generation farmer get started down this path? For context, I own 50 acres in a pastured meat operation direct to consumer. Awesome. In Tennessee, that all ground is tied up in grazing. Probably have lease opportunities at 325 an acre, 30 plus years of chemically farmed row crop ground, 50 to $75 an acre for pasture land no big equipment, limited capital, a podcast education, but more energy and determination than you could ever imagine. How do I start? Oh, Brian, I don't know if I can get through all that tonight. You probably need to uh, contact me later, but um, you are doing exactly the right things right now. I admire you for having a 50 acres you own, your pasture raising your meat, own meat and your direct marketing to consumer. I cannot imagine a better way to build soil health and to build human health and to maximize the dollars on that acre. So here's what I'm gonna tell you in a real quick elevator pitch. In my opinion, you are building soil health better than anybody else with the cattle on that acre, period. Now, what we need to figure out now is how do you get out of the cattle so you can raise a, a different cash crop other than just forages and walking your, your, your grain to town. So that's, the, that's what they used to call it. When you take light cattle to market, you're walking your grain to town. Um, so 
the things we have to worry about here are compaction. So this is where I typically do not recommend planting corn behind cattle like this because I'm afraid the compaction is going to be too great for the corn plant. Corn does not like compaction. Soybeans will be a better choice here. Uh, I don't know what all of your opportunities are. I don't know if there's someone there that could buy alfalfa. Alfalfa could be an opportunity. Um, I was talking to my friend, uh, uh, Risa DeMacy today from Grassland, Oregon. Uh, Burst seam frosty clover is gonna be another excellent option. It's a multi-cut species, so you can cut this three, four, five times a year, depending on where you're located in the, in the United States. Uh, you know, I don't know if you can, if you've got an outlet for that, but that's a way to then alleviate some compaction and then come back and bring corn into that, say two years down the road. Um, you know, I just, I need to know more about your, your land availability, how many acres you can really get your hands on. We probably need to talk in greater detail other than this podcast. So that's kind of where I would be quickly glazing over that real quick, Brian, but uh, sounds like you're the right kind of guy for this kind of a movement. You're very determined and, um, and you want to get started now, so thank you. Um, uh, Lude Milo, what the time the right one, question mark. What are you referring to there? I don't know what I, again, I don't know what I said there. Um, uh, okay. Actually, pre-plant fertilizer. So you're going back to um, uh, how early or closer to planting do I do the the uh, the pre-plant fertilizer? I, I think you got again. Actually, this is all about when your fields are fit to be on. Uh, yeah, Lou Miley, you're about the tenth person to tell me it's time time to write a book. Um, actually, I may start to do that. Um, Acres, the magazine Acres has asked me to write articles uh, in their monthly publication. And then those articles could become chapters in a book. And I kind of like that concept. So I may do something like that. Um, yeah, I, I thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Um, so anyway, actually, I hope that helps, but, but wait. You know, wait for your fields to be fit, but you know, you've got to give this fertilizer time to get in the soil profile, you know, break down, do what it's going to do. So um, you probably need to be a couple of weeks before planting, but again, it's around uh, when uh, the, the field is fit to be on. That's what I always go by because we don't have any tillage equipment and Yes, we did till a few acres this year, but I want to be no-till, so we've got to be respective of the ground conditions and, and not to be on these fields until they're fit to be on. Okay, uh, Jeremy, what do you think of this idea? If cover crop looks like a failure after winter, go to plan B and plant oats as early as possible. So you're talking about next spring. Okay, now, I love your idea, and I want to throw one other thing out there. What are you wanting to do here? Are you wanting to then 
make your oats your cash crop. Is that what you're talking about here, Jeremy? So you thought maybe you'd have a, a legume package to plant corn, but it didn't survive the winter. And instead of having a zero, you're gonna put uh, oats out in the spring. Is that, is that what you're talking about? Yes, okay. Yes, here's, and then I wanna throw out something else to you to try. Now, everything you gotta think here about unintended consequences. Everything we do in life has unintended consequences. So I'm gonna lay out a scenario that we tried this year, but it has a problem but we can fix the problem, okay? I like your idea. You've got to have outs. I love cattle. So let's go back to um, the young man with the cattle, Brian. Brian, you will have outs with cattle. If you have a field that does not work the way you want it to work, guess what you do? Turn your cattle out and graze it and get rate of gain on the cattle and make your money. It's not what you intended to do, but it's better than a zero. So I love the way Jeremy's thinking here. You've got to have outs. So here's his out. He's gonna plant a legume package in the fall, but for whatever reason, it didn't survive the winter. And he comes out next spring and he doesn't have that cover crop. So you plant oats. I love it. Plant oats, harvest the oats off, and wait until July 20th and plant 45 to 50 pounds of buckwheat. And put in that buckwheat four pounds of Belanza fixation clover and four pounds of hairy vetch and plant it all at the same time. Now the theory here is you've now taken an oat crop off of that field, which is probably gonna generate, I don't know, 300 bucks an acre. I don't know, three, 400. Then you're gonna plant a buckwheat crop that's gonna generate maybe another $400 an acre. So now you're up to $800, potentially $800. You've now also got, guess what? Your legume started for next year's corn crop. Now here's the little twister I would put to this. I would then get 20 pounds of survivor grassland Oregon, survivor peas, and plant these babies three inches deep, two weeks before the ground's gonna freeze. You're probably gonna need to use a corn planter to do this. Plant these things two weeks before the ground's gonna freeze solid. And next spring, you're gonna have clover growing, you're gonna have hairy vetch growing, and you're gonna have survivor peas growing. And now you have set up the dynamic to raise a hellacious corn crop. And 
Everything that I just mentioned in that cocktail, three species cocktail can be mechanically terminated if you so desire. Hey, and there's three ways we can terminate this. Uh, four, I'm gonna go with four. Four mechanical ways of termination. Roller cramp, flail chopper, green manure, which consists of tillage, two to three inches deep, which I, I mean, folks, if you want to have fuel for your corn, that's how you do it. Because you have now turned all of that biomass upside down and guess what? Guess who now has total contact of that biomass, the microbes. They are going to convert that to fuel as fast as they possibly can. And you are going to have a kick-ass corn crop. You're probably gonna have a lot of weeds too because that's what happens when you do tillage. That's three. Number four, I don't know what, I, I need to name this something because this is not tillage, but I'll come up with a name. But you're gonna take like a, a uh, vertical tillage tool and we're gonna set it to where it's just maybe right above the ground. And we're gonna just slice and dice this legume package into pieces. And we're gonna roll it down. I mean, the, the action of the, it's not a roller crimper, but the action of the vertical tillage tool is gonna to layer down and slice it into pieces. Wait two days and plant your corn. Now this, in my opinion, will not promote weeds to germinate because we're not gonna disturb any soil unless we have weed seeds that are up on top which we probably do, we might have some of them become uh, fertilized and germinate. But my gosh, we have now sped up the, the, um, the breakdown of this cocktail, this legume cocktail that remember we planted last July with the buckwheat. And then the peas were probably in November, right before Thanksgiving. And oh my gosh, this is how you get into a system and raise corn, soybeans, and a cereal grain, either, either winter cereal grain or a spring cereal grain. Jeremy, thank you. That is how you have to think. And you said, you were being very nice there. You said go to plan B. Typically, Jeremy, at this point, it's plan X because we've gone through so many plans to this point. But yes, that is how we make this work. And you think about, so what you need to do now is get your farm on a piece of paper. Okay, the fall, we're in the fall of 22, so start there and list your fields and say, okay, Fall 22, put your field, just like an Excel spreadsheet, put your fields across the top and put your practices down the side. I don't care how you do it. Fields across the side, practice across the side. I don't care what you do. 
and then you say, what are we going to do in each of these fields? And then you start to see this developing. Oh, I got it. We got corn on the Smith 80 in 23, but we've got oats on the brown 80 in 24, followed by buckwheat that's also got vetch and clover so that we can then have corn on the brown 80 on the spring of 25. You, you, get, you get to see how you build this into time. And then it all starts to make sense. So that, I hope, I hope this, I hope we didn't get too, too far out of bounds here. I hope we stayed where we wanted to. Um, okay, Brian, it's, it's Brian Peterson. Easiest out is sell whole cows to community, custom processing, very minimal marking, 1,000 net per acre. What's wrong with that? or sell retail cuts in bigger radius if near a major city USDA processing heavy marketing and time involved 2000 net per acre. Well, I'll tell you what, Brian, I do both. And I would let the system tell you which is the best for you. Um, try to pick up some more ground and if you are confident in that $2,000 an acre net profitability, think what you can pay for cash rent. Now you got, you know, still be realistic, but now you got to think about Brian. Now you got to think about time because how long is it going to take you to get a calf to market to be slaughtered? What 30 months? 28 to 32 months, somewhere in that time period. So now you need to be starting to think about signing 10 year lease agreements and lock those acres in. And maybe you work with the landowner and you have some kind of a flex where you guarantee them X amount of dollars, but you know, I don't know what you want to, I don't know if you want to tie it to inflation. I mean, inflation's going bonkers right now. But that's how a lot of people used to do it because inflation was a static 2%. So you just raised your rent every year by 2%. You can get as creative with cash rent as you can your, your concept right there. But I would try and do both methods and then, hey, if you don't ever raise a row crop, all the better. I mean, Brian, We've got weeds galore because I'm trying to do this organic with no tillage. But if we were like you on every acre, foraging animals across those acres, you've, you, you, you're onto something. You're onto something there. Don't, don't, get, don't lose that. Even the $1,000 an acre. That is good. I mean, if you're paying 350 an acre for rent and your overhead, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks. So 650, another, another 50 for miscellaneous or whatever, set your net in $300 an acre and you're enjoying life. So, oh, you're talking about netting a thousand per acre. Yeah, you're already there. You're already there. Call me sometime. Um, 
Rachel, put my number in there if you would, please. If you're still if you're still hanging there, uh, my cell phone number. Um, call me sometime. Remind me who you are. I'm sorry. I talked to a lot of people. Um, this has been a blast. Um, I love uh, I love doing this. Um, I love it when you guys get on here and we get going back and forth. You know, I wish we could be on audio, but if we were on audio, everybody would be walking on top of each other. So I, I, I thank you so much for for doing this through the chat. Uh, here, I'm going to go ahead and put my my cell number here. Uh, let's see, seven six five five eight five two four one three. There. Hopefully, everybody everybody can see that. Um, and you can find me online. I, I try to put all my stuff out there. Uh, this has been great. Uh, and Deanne, thanks for keeping me honest. Yes, we did tillage. Thank you. I have to admit that I would be lying if I didn't. Uh, I don't, I didn't want, I almost cried when we did it, but uh, I felt like we had to get those perennial weeds under control. So, um, that's the only field right now we've got those issues in. So I hope as time goes on, those issues disappear. But um, anyway, thank you, everyone. Um, I'll let you know next week, Wednesday, I testify. We'll talk all about it next Thursday. You know what? I don't I don't know if I have a guest for next Thursday. I might just do another. Um, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, maybe I'll have a senator on there with me on Thursday. I don't know. We'll see. So we'll let you know. Um, everyone have a great, great week. And please, the number one thing, harvest is coming. The number one thing is be safe. Because if you get hurt in an accident and something tragic happens, what good's it done anybody? So be safe. It's not about yield. It's about, it's about being safe. It's about building human health. And it's about building soil health. Thank you. And see you next time. Bye-bye.